Hello and welcome to the Core Perform Corner, where registered dietitians and personal trainers teach you how to optimize your gut health, hormones, and fitness. Our team has utilized the trademark and evidence-based Core Perform protocol to transform over 500 lives mentally and physically. Here at Core Perform, we have three core values that are family, communication, and care. So if you are ready, subscribe to join our family, communicate with us through our Facebook group to ask questions, and we'll take care of the rest. Please remember this episode should not be used as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. And now, let's get on to this week's question. Is this going to be a video? Welcome back to the Corporate Form Corner podcast with your host, Nick Maurer, Coach Nick Maurer. Uh, I have back on the show with me, Daniel Hamilton, and that's Daniel, Daniel Hamilton Health. Uh, last time we talked about all things like blood sugar and insulin sensitivity. Um, this time we're going to talk more on the application side. So, you know, we now you figure out you do have issues with your blood sugar or with your insulin sensitivity or you have eye insulin. What do we do next? What are the next steps? So, Danielle, thanks again for having or coming on back on here and looking forward to diving into this topic with you. So, I guess let's let's kind of take off where we left off. So, um, why don't you do a real brief overview of insulin sensitivity, just in case someone didn't listen to the last one, and then we can kind of go in from there. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me back. Um, so. Blood sugar and insulin, they're like two sides of the same coin. They affect each other, um, but mostly we have what happens when we consume carbohydrates and also protein is that the sugar gets digested and goes into our bloodstream. And that is what we call our blood sugar. So that's the amount of sugar in our blood, also called blood glucose. When the pancreas senses this rise in glucose, if we do not have type one diabetes, our pancreas will release a hormone called insulin. Insulin's job is to take the sugar out of the blood and put it into the body so it can be used to create energy in our cells. So it will put this sugar into our liver, into our muscles, about 80% go directly into our muscles. So that will sort of link back later on. That'll be an important factor to keep in mind later on. Um, it'll put the sugar in our brain, in, in, in our fat cells to store for later. So that's what insulin's job, one of insulin's jobs is, is to get that sugar out of the blood. So when we think about having high insulin, that will lower our blood sugar. So that's how the blood sugar kind of comes back down to the normal range. In some people, if we have too much insulin secreted at a meal, maybe um, they don't always know why this happens, but oftentimes it's potentially because we're spiking our blood sugar so often that the body thinks like, oh, she's eating again. We better get that insulin load ready. And, and they send out a ton of insulin and sometimes it just overcorrects. So it's too much insulin for what a person ate. And then the blood sugar will start to go low after a meal. And that can send us signals uh, or symptoms of uh, anxiety is a really common one, carb and sugar cravings, shakiness, dizziness, feeling hangry, uh, difficulty concentrating, brain fog, headaches. All of these are signs that our blood sugar is coming down too low, it's crashing too quickly, or it actually is going too low. The body really likes to have a steady amount of glucose in the system. And if it goes below that, the body starts to kind of freak out. 
So when we are eating high carbohydrate foods, when we're snacking often, if we're grazing, like they tell us to do, right. They tell us, you know, eat three meals and have three snacks and, and, you know, keep your metabolism up. And I say that with air quotes, you know, (laughs) that that is actually spiking our blood sugar over and over and over. And that's causing those levels of insulin in the blood over time to elevate because the insulin doesn't come down as fast as the blood sugar does. So now we are in a state where there's high levels of insulin in the blood and high levels of insulin in the blood, also called hyperinsulinemia, always goes hand in hand with insulin resistance. And so this is when the cells are sort of becoming resistant to the message of insulin. So typically insulin will go over to a cell and it will fit inside the receptor and say, Hey, I have some glucose. So it sort of think about it like a key and it's opening the lock on the cell to let that glucose into the cell. But when we have insulin resistance, the cell is not picking up that signal. So it's almost like the insulin's knocking on the door, knocking on the door, being like, Hey, I have glucose. I have glucose. It's like, no, dude, you were already here. So it stops listening to that. So now the levels of sugar in the blood start rising over time because the insulin is not able to do its job of getting the sugar into the cell. So now the amount of sugar in the blood starts going up because the insulin's almost not working as well. And so we need more and more and more insulin to do the same job. So what tends to happen is that insulin starts rising for years or decades before we even see that change in blood sugar before the blood sugar even starts to rise. We just need more and more and more insulin to do the same job because we have this resistance. And that puts us in sort of at risk of all sorts of things happening. And I don't like to use the word risk because it doesn't feel very, it's like, oh, there's a risk of that. It's not going to happen to me. We don't think about that. So what is a better, I guess, way of saying it is that this sets us up for having symptoms in every single aspect of our bodies, our physiology, because insulin and blood sugar affect every single cell organ and process in the body. So when we have these high levels of insulin and or high levels of blood sugar or this dysregulation of our blood sugar, when we have the highs and the lows, it's gonna set us up for feeling all those symptoms I talked about earlier, feeling hangry, having cravings, weight loss resistance, no energy or these energy crashes. We're gonna have probably some brain symptoms. So moodiness, depression, anxiety, irritability, difficulty concentrating, brain fog. And then you can literally work your way down the body and say every single area that every single organ is going to be affected by high levels of sugar and insulin in your blood. So we know that the leading cause of blindness in adults is macular degeneration, and that is seen in the diabetic population. We know that sugar and insulin is going to be very inflammatory to the system. So we're going to see a lot of, you know, gum disease, gingivitis, anything with an itis at the end can be driven, can be one of the causes of these things. We know there's tooth decay and things like that. 
there's skin issues that happen. I used to struggle with cystic acne because I was spiking my blood sugar all the time. And that spike in insulin can cause acne. It can cause darkening of the skin folds around the necks, around the groin, around the armpit area. That's called anthocosis nigricans, I think. It's just a mouthful. A um, lot of uh, skin issues are also made worse by blood sugar issues. So eczema and psoriasis, to name a few. Then we get down to the heart. We know that insulin resistance is the leading cause of hypertension. It's It dysregulates a lot of things. And again, it's inflammatory. Having high sugar diet is going to deplete us of a lot of nutrients, especially magnesium. Magnesium is an essential mineral for relaxing the muscles. So we think about calcium contracting the muscles, magnesium relaxing the muscles. This is very important for our heart. So if we don't have enough magnesium to relax the muscle, we can have AFib, we can have heart disease. So this is how insulin resistance and high blood sugar contribute to that. We get down to the gut, we see issues there. We can see imbalances of the good and bad bacteria. We know that high blood sugar and insulin resistance are gonna cause fatty liver and issues with our liver. Uh, we know it affects the pancreas because it's producing, having to produce so much insulin. So maybe the pancreas might burn out. And in the state, in the case of late type two diabetes, the pancreas can't make insulin anymore. The other thing is that the pancreas is also a digestive organ. So this really impacts our ability to digest our food. We know that insulin resistance causes issues with our gallbladder, so we can't digest fat as well. So we can't stabilize our blood sugar or feel satiated. So that's only worsening these issues. We know that it affects our adrenal glands, which produce our stress hormones. So the adrenals are very sensitive to fluctuations in the blood sugar. It likes the blood sugar to be nice and steady and stable in this tight, tight range. But if it goes really high or drops really low, that's very stressful on the body. And so it's going to cause this release of all these stress hormones. And that can go the other way as well. So a really stressful situation is going to drive up our blood sugar because it, that's the, the point of the stress system. So cortisol, which is one of our stress hormones, is going to create blood sugar because it thinks that we need energy to run away from a, a threat like a tiger. But really we're just opening our email or pissed about something our boss says and our blood sugar starts going up. So that's gonna dysregulate itself. And then we know that it affects the kidneys. That's a leading cause of kidney disease is diabetes. We know it affects fertility because insulin resistance is the root cause of PCOS, and that is the leading cause of infertility in women. We know that high blood sugar levels and insulin resistance is going to increase infertility in men. It increases risk of cancer, all these things. It, it messes up our cholesterol. I mean, again, every single organ is going to be affected. So it's that's, all, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That it's all tied together, just like the whole rest of the body. When one get when something gets affected, everything gets affected. Um, so now that we've gone through that extensively, like what all insulin sensitivity is, what the importance of it is and all that, why don't we just go ahead and jump straight into how does someone fix it? So if we want, if you want, we can probably talk about somebody who may be like clinically high and then we can talk about someone who's clinically low and what your recommendations on um, diet, lifestyle, and probably supplementation would be for both those. I think that'd be pretty cool. Sure. So let's start with, um, in general, if we want to improve our insulin sensitivity, so that's how well our cells are responding to insulin. So every time they knock at the door, they let that glucose in. That's really what we want. 
for some reason, that's super important, right? <laughs> so um, it doesn't sound that important, you know, uh, but that's really what we want. So the first thing that we need to do is stabilize our blood sugar levels. We want to avoid these high spikes and low crashes. So one of the things that we can do that I always recommend is getting some sort of blood sugar meter because we don't have to do this blind. We don't have to guess what our blood sugar is doing. And in fact, when we know it's so powerful because we can make tweaks that actually work and we can see the results of that happening and we will feel better. The other thing is when testing your blood sugar, you can also start to connect different symptoms that you're having, like, oh, that 3 p.m. headache, I thought it was because I was staring at my computer screen, but it turns out that's a blood sugar symptom for me, you know, or like, I always get this craving, or I always feel this certain anxiety, oh, it's because my blood sugar is going down really fast, so, or it's because it's peaking too high, so you can start to connect these symptoms, and that is huge, because that, our symptoms are our body's way of talking to us and telling us that something is not right. So we want to be able to give the body what it needs instead of just eating something to get rid of the symptom or taking ibuprofen or something to numb that or quiet that symptom. We want to give the body what it's asking for because that's how it's going to get healthier. So testing your blood sugar, you can do a finger prick meter or you can do a continuous glucose meter. Um, both of those are fantastic. In the US, you do need a prescription to get a continuous glucose monitor or a CGM, but there's now a lot of companies that offer CGMs so you can get the prescription and the device through these companies. So uh, most often, if you ask your doctor, they'll say, no, you're not a, an uncontrolled type two diabetic, so you can't get one. Very rarely can someone who just wants to optimize their health get their hands on this. So there are a lot of companies out there that do that. And I have all those linked on my, on my Instagram profile, if anyone is interested. So that is step one, is figure out what your blood sugar is doing. Start testing, figure out what your morning glucose is doing figure out what's happening after, after a meal, not just two hours, you know, don't just test right before you eat the meal. And then two hours later to see if it's kind of returned to baseline, you want to get a picture of what the blood sugar is doing, maybe every 20 to 30 minutes for the next several hours after a meal. And that will give you a better idea of what that curve is. So we want to look, and ideally we don't want our blood sugar to be spiking over 30 points at a meal. So that's 30 milligrams per deciliter. If you're outside of the US, just take any number that I'm telling you, just divide it by 18 to get those millimoles. And so we don't want it to go over 30 milligrams per deciliter at a meal, because that's considered a spike the research on that is not super, super solid where it's like, oh, everyone agrees on this. So around 30 would be kind of the maximum we'd want to see. And then in terms of numbers, we really don't want our blood sugar going over 140. Again, divide by 18 if you're outside the US. Um, we don't want it to go over 140 because that is already where we start to have these inflammatory cytokines being produced. And this is going to affect the the walls of our arteries. So we can see a lot of times cholesterol is demonized for causing heart issues when cholesterol is actually a powerful antioxidant healing substance that's going to the site of damage. That would be the way we demonize cholesterol is as if we were demonizing firefighters saying like, God, there's so many firefighters causing fires all over the city just because they happen to be at the same place at the same time. The firefighters are trying to help just as the cholesterol is also trying to help. So good analogy. 
Yeah. So we don't want to get rid of cholesterol. We want to stop causing inflammation that the cholesterol needs to fix. And this is a really great way is to stop spiking your blood sugar. So again, we don't want it to go over 140. We try to keep it under 30 spiked at a meal. And then in terms of a range, if anyone you know is setting a CGM, ideally we want our blood sugar to be somewhere around 70 to maybe 110. That would be ideal, ideal. Um, we don't really want it to fluctuate much more than that. Normal fluctuations throughout the day are okay. We don't want to see a straight line. That means you're dead. So we don't, we're not looking for a very, very super flat glucose line. We're looking for very small little hills. What we don't want are these sharp peaks and, and valleys. So in addition to the glucose, so how can we keep it, keep our blood sugar from spiking? So one of the things that we want to do is focus on fats and proteins. And typically fats and proteins come together in nature and they're that way for a reason. When we have fat with protein, we actually digest the two of them and assimilate them better. When we have protein that has fat in it, we actually get the gallbladder going a little bit and that will help to better assimilate that protein. And having the two of them together, protein is the most satiating macronutrient and fat think of as an alternative energy source to carbohydrates, not saying that we can't have any carbohydrates, um, but fat is an alternative fuel source. So we give ourselves that energy with these healthy fats. They help stabilize the blood sugar to, to kind of blunt those spikes. And then the proteins are the building blocks that we need to not only build muscles, but also hair, teeth, nails, skin, and also hormones and neurotransmitters and enzymes and hemoglobin. So we need proteins. They're really, really important. But if you have too much lean protein, so if you just like go ham and eat like a pound of chicken breast, you're actually going to see a spike in your blood sugar because it does have somewhat of a glucose and insulin response. So having them, the protein together with the fat will keep it a little bit more blunted and will be a perfect curve from there vegetables can be great. They can make a really great vessel for fats. Um, the fiber in there helps to also slow the absorption of the carbohydrates. And then if you are doing carbohydrates, which you don't have to because glucose or carbohydrates are, are the only non-essential macronutrient, that doesn't mean that our body doesn't need glucose, but it can make glucose out of the other macronutrients. So there's, it's that important that there's like a fail safe, but we don't actually need to take it in through our diet. Most people do well with or do best with some small amount of carbohydrates and women need to be more careful to cycle carbohydrates throughout the month. But uh, with carbohydrates, a basic rule of thumb is that you always want them to be in their whole natural form because if they're in a package, in a box, in a bag, they've been processed in some way, and this is going to cause them to spike your blood sugar more. They're going to have a higher insulin spike. So we want to have whole food carbohydrates in their natural form. So like low glycemic fruits, um, some roots, some starchy vegetables, things like that. Those would be the best choices. Next best would be things like legumes and whole grains, but not bread, because again, that's processed. So, and then we want to make sure that those amounts are small enough that when we're eating them, we're not spiking our blood sugar and saving those carbohydrates for last at a meal can also help to reduce that blood sugar spike as well. We don't want to be eating carbohydrates by themselves. So just like 
going and having a banana would be a really big spike in your blood sugar. And there's no fat or protein to sort of slow that spike. So that would give us a real big insulin spike. So in terms of food, that's a really great place to start. Any questions there? No, uh, not with the high. Oh, actually, well, the only thing I would think is if you want, we can talk about supplements now for it and and then cover all that you just covered on the low side with supplements too. So are there any kind of supplements that you would also add in on top of these? Obviously, those are great starting blocks because lifestyle food is going to fix probably 90% of people. But sometimes those supplements are those extra little cherry on top that can kind of help aid in that. Like, do you have your clients do apple cider vinegar or like any kind of um, berberine or something like that? You want to kind of go into that too? Sure. So let me finish up with the food and I'll give those caveats for if someone's sure. having their blood sugar drop low and then uh, we'll go into supplements. That's perfect. Sure. So if your blood sugar is going low, a lot of people have this reactive hypoglycemia. They can't go long between meals. They start getting shaky. A lot of people start getting really bad symptoms. I work with a lot of people like this. Um, you can even have these low blood sugar moments where you feel like you're going low, you're shaking, you're feeling horrible when your blood sugar is in a quote, normal or high range even. And that really is just telling us that your body has very limited metabolic flexibility. So it's really heavily dependent on these carbohydrates for fuel and that it can't burn your own body fat for fuel. So it senses that there's no energy left over. It's like these carbs are, are getting processed. We have just enough glucose left. We have tiny, tiny bit left and then we're going to be out. So it's almost as if like it, the gaslight is coming on in the car and it's going to send you these symptoms. So that's going to help drive you to go get food. That's what those symptoms are doing to try to tell you, Hey, get more energy. Cause we're almost out. So one of the big things that the recommendation in the mainstream, if you have this hypoglycemia or reactive hypoglycemia is to eat lean protein and complex carbohydrates every two to three hours. Now, based on what I just told you about the lean protein and about carbohydrates in general, those are the two macronutrients that are going to spike your blood sugar the most. So even a complex carbohydrate, so brown rice versus white rice, there's almost no difference in the blood sugar spike. And yes, if it's a whole food carbohydrate, it's going to be a little bit better. But for these people who are struggling with these, these spikes and crashes, this is going to set them up for more spikes and crashes. It's actually going to worsen the whole disease process. It's going to put more insulin into the system and make the whole thing worse. So my recommendation is to not have lean protein and complex carbohydrates is to have some protein. We want to have a moderate amount of protein. We want to have a lot of fat because that fat we're going to teach our body, we need to use this as fuel. And that is going to help you get from one meal to the next. So you don't have to eat every two hours. You're going to slowly try to stretch out how long you're eating. And you're going to start with however many carbohydrates you were eating. And you're going to very slowly, emphasis on very slowly, taper these carbohydrates down over time. So a person whose blood sugar is crashing all the time you can't go straight to a very low carb diet because you're just going to crash more. You have to slowly systematically taper these carbohydrates down until you can tolerate a lower carb or ketogenic diet. 
Um, you don't have to do that, but that is really where a lot of healing is. And it takes people sometimes a really long time to even get to that place where they can go lower carb, but that is going to help because the problem with when you have hypoglycemia and reactive hypoglycemia is too much insulin and insulin resistance. They always go together and adrenal dysfunction. So your stress hormones, your stress system, it's just too stressed and you're just crashing all over the place. The adrenals can't do its job of keeping the blood sugar up. So that is typically what we see um, when that's happening. So you have to go really, really slowly with tapering down those carbs. So supplement wise, apple cider vinegar is fantastic because it lowers the blood sugar and insulin response of the meal. It also improves your stomach acid and your fat digestion. So you can actually digest and break down these foods better. Oftentimes I see a lot of people struggle to digest fat. And that's why I specialize also in digestion because you have to be able to break down fats in order to absorb them. So you can eat all the fats you want. You could just eat a pound of avocados and down a stick of butter. But if you can't digest it, it's not doing anything for you. It's not helping you balance your blood sugar or keep you satiated or give you energy. And it's actually causing a lot of inflammation. So working on your digestion. So with my clients, I do a lot of digestive supports, but that has to be on an individual basis. So I do a lot of digestive supports for anybody so they can tolerate and get more nutrients out of any food, any diet that they're eating. Um, the apple cider vinegar is fantastic for both digestion and blood sugar purposes. Um, I do like berberine and dihydroberberine as well, because that is insulin sensitizing and has been clinically shown to be uh, just as effective as metformin. I also like inositol and I like a blend by um, of myo and dechiro inositol, and that has also insulin sensitizing effects. Um, I like adrenal supports because a lot of people are struggling when they have these highs and lows of blood sugar, they get that. I do like, um, I like prioritizing some omega-3 fats. Generally, I like to get it from food sources. So like salmon, sardines, um, cod liver oil, but, um, fish oil supplements are pretty rancid and they're usually not good quality. So I don't like to recommend those. Um, a lot of people are deficient in B vitamins, but instead of doing like a B complex, I really like to do grass fed liver. And I like to use whole organs because that's like nature's multivitamin and you don't have to eat these. They come in supplement form and they are just a really, really great source of well-balanced vitamins and minerals. And they have all the necessary cofactors. They're in the right forms. So I love doing beef liver and then perhaps alternating that with a blend of beef organs. So you might get some like heart and kidney and spleen and pancreas, stuff like that. And, um, let's see. There, I do like things for, for liver support. So this isn't necessarily a supplement, but I really like um, castor oil packs because the castor oil can really help the body. It can help the, the bile flow so you can digest fats better. It helps with so many things. I did a whole podcast episode on this. It's still blowing my mind, all the benefits from it. Helps with deep sleep, helps you get into a parasympathetic state. And a lot of people see huge differences when they wear this castor oil pack. So that can be another really helpful thing because anything that's going to support the liver is going to help support our blood sugar because the liver is one of the three organs of blood sugar regulation. So liver, adrenals, and pancreas are the big three. So supporting those can be helpful.
Oh, and one more. Yeah. Uh, electrolytes. So as we're lowering our carbohydrates, it's really important to replace our electrolytes because when we urinate, when we cry, when we sweat, it's not plain water and we're losing a lot of salt and other minerals. And so when you're lowering your carbs, you definitely want to be replacing your electrolytes. And that's also really helpful for your adrenals. Your adrenals love salt. And so um, putting salt in your water, if your blood sugar is crashing, is really, really big and really helpful for supporting your adrenals and your blood sugar. Awesome. Yeah, so that is a, uh, so basically went through low and high insulin, what we do to fix it with supplements. That was a super great breakdown. I guess the only thing that I would think that maybe people would like to know too, um, uh, I had a, I, like the only question I really had was when you're talking about like different foods and how they affect us, are there any types of foods that you, you know, recommend to your clients that, that like you would say, Hey, do not have these types of foods. Are there any like total blacklist foods? Okay. Yep. Could you go into which ones yeah. that you say and why? Yeah. Um. So vegetable oils is going to come out on the top of that one. So that would be anything like canola, corn, cottonseed, soybean, safflower, sunflower, rapeseed, rice bran, and grapeseed oil. Those oils are horrible for human health. They can directly cause insulin resistance. They cause a lot of inflammation, which is one of the causes of insulin resistance. Um, and they are going to mess up your body's own ability to burn its own fat. So you want to stick with natural fats. So animal fats, and then the fats from fruits. So that I know that sounds kind of weird, but olives, coconuts, and avocados, those are your safest bets when it comes to fats. So ghee and butter and animal fats and, and those. Um, another thing that I see is a lot of people replacing and they start to do these artificial sweeteners. So artificial sweeteners like um, Splenda, which is sucralose or acesulfame potassium, which is in a lot of processed foods or um, aspartame, those are notoriously really bad. And they are also going to spike insulin, even though they don't spike glucose. So you'll see your blood sugar go down. And I say that puts you kind of in the craving zone. And for other people who are struggling with a lot of cravings, and even just hunger, when you have these other sweeteners that are healthier, quote unquote, like stevia and allulose and monk fruit and erythritol, they still, for me, they're like kryptonite because I have a little bit of that. I get a little bit of a taste on my tongue and I feel like Frank the tank. I'm just like, give me sugar. Like it, it's so crazy. It just wakes up my sugar dragon and makes me crave. So if you are finding that you're, you know, replacing your, the sugar and things, and you're having these, these sweeteners that you might do much better off if you just take them out and get used to savory flavors. So we want to avoid those processed foods that also heavily processed foods. So if you turn over a food and, you know, it says like keto something bar, you turn it over and it's got like a list of ingredients that are like 20 ingredients or more. Right. No, that's not a food that's going to be helpful for your health. It might be better than, you know, a Big Mac and fries in a pinch. So, you know, but in general, that's not a food that's going to promote health. So heavily processed food, vegetable oils, and be careful, be mindful of those sweeteners. Those would be the big three. 
Sweet. Okay, so the last question I got for you is how does what is alcohol's um uh toll on a role uh, within blood sugar and insulin sensitivity? So alcohol, when we have it, it needs to be used first by the body. So it's prioritized metabolically. So it's going to delay any sort of um, fat burning that you might want to do. So it also is a toxin. It's really bad for our liver and it's really, um, it also causes a um, more like insulin resistance at the time and can give us a blood sugar drop later on. So it's not, sometimes it won't show up on a CGM. So you might be like, oh, I didn't get a spike from my blood sugar, but it's going to be a food or a drink that is going to worsen our blood sugar and insulin levels over time. So overall it's detrimental to that system That's and fair. especially our sleep which is one of the biggest lifestyle factors when it comes to blood sugar. So we like, we almost can't have this conversation without talking about sleep because sleep is really the foundation. So if your sleep is not good, you're going to be more insulin resistant, even that next day. And then if your blood sugar isn't good, your sleep isn't going to be good. So they have sleep and, and blood sugar have this bi-directional relationship, just like with the adrenals. So um, if you want good sleep, you have to focus on stuff during the day. And if you want to have a good day, you need to focus on your sleep. So that's super, super important. Gotcha. Last thing I would think about is like, as far as, um, you know, lifestyle goes, like, what types of workouts would, would go along with making sure we're optimal in these types of things? Yeah. So the best workouts for improving insulin sensitivity are going to be the ones that you do to fatigue and weightlifting and building muscle is going to be your best bet. And so that's why I told you to keep in mind that 80% of that sugar goes straight to your muscles. So the more muscle you have, the better your blood sugar can be. So you're almost like creating a sink. You're creating a space for all that blood sugar and insulin to go. And muscles can be some of the first cells in the body that start to become insulin resistant. So when we work them to fatigue, that reverses that resistance and makes them more insulin sensitive. So there's nothing better for your blood sugar than building muscle and walking is fantastic for your blood sugar, especially right after a meal. So you can yep. eat a meal, go for a walk, and you're using up that glucose in the system. And you're also in a fat burning state at that time. So you can be burning through some body fat as well. Um, and then other lifestyle factors, we need to think about anything that's going to keep down stress. So anything that's causing stress is going to dysregulate our blood sugar or pump our blood sugar up. And for those of us who are sensitive or inclined, it will cause our blood sugar to crash. So anything stressful is going to worsen our blood sugar. So that means like artificial lights being, um, you know, not out in nature, always being inside temperature controlled. So things that are going to improve would be the opposite. So getting sunlight, getting sunlight on our skin, um, getting that natural vitamin D from the sun, not slathering ourselves in chemical sunscreens. We'll want to be putting our feet on the earth to dispel and to, to reduce inflammation. This all sounds like stupid or like, oh, it's free, like whatever, like how much does that really help? It really helps. Um, and especially when we do it every single day, community, um, stress reducing practices, breath work is fantastic. So 
creating a lifestyle that includes all of these things is going to be your best bet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show again. Uh, Reminder of one where they can follow you and um, that way they can learn more if they really want to narrow in on some of those supplements and or the CGM and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. So uh, my Instagram handle is Danielle Hamilton Health. My podcast is Unlock the Sugar Shackles, and I have a group coaching program coming up in September. It's called Blood Sugar Mastery. So that's if you want to take this further, do all these steps together. We talk about the adrenals. We talk about stress and movement and digestion and um, how to not spike your blood sugar, how to interpret these continuous glucose monitor graphs. So everything that I said today is covered and you get that individual coaching um, in the blood sugar mastery program. And that starts in September. Perfect. Well, appreciate having you on again. It was always a pleasure and learn, always learn a lot. So uh, have a great rest of your day and talk later. Thanks. You too. See ya.